Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those who don't forget their agenda, welcome to the GOT Guy Questions Podcast with Spencer and Lee Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. This is a special episode of the Got Questions Podcast. Spencer, we've waited and waited, and then we waited some more, but we've got it. We have actual season eight footage. An official trailer was released this week. Thank the Lord. I think it's even a little bit earlier than we predicted. You were trying to set out when you were anticipating this would occur. I think this kind of beat the deadline you were setting for yourself. It did by about a week. I thought I thought we would get it about a month out. Um, and so we're we're more than a month out. We're about a month and a week out from April fourteenth when season eight debuts. But we got the trailer, and I was man I, I, when I saw it, Spencer, you'd just crack up because I bet I, I was saw it on my work computer, and of course all business had to stop. I shut every window, <laughs> uh, closed the door to my office. Uh, and I, I queue it up and I, I watched it, but I paused as I watched it to like see the frames, you know, like as I'm going, like to kind of make it longer. Like I was such a dork about it, but yeah, we got season eight footage. It's two minutes and three seconds long. If you haven't seen it, pause the pod right now, go to youtube.com, go to the game of Thrones channel and watch the season eight official trailer and then come back to us. Cause we're doing a review pod. We're talking about the trailer. We're talking season eight. It's going to be a blast. And I, I do adore the, just how apparent the meteoric rise of the show is. Uh, back in, like, season one, they were really happy when they got, like, three million people watching an episode. To date, the trailer's been viewed on YouTube 33 million times. Yeah, it's huge. Like, and, and, and like, I don't my Twitter feed just went bananas. Like, and, and then also, like, if you, like, uh, if you're, like, a real geek, uh, and you're, well, I won't say geek, but uh, if you're really into it, and you're following all of the different review uh, shows or pods like ours, the Got Questions podcast, man, like, so here's an example, you know, so Binge Mode, right, uh, on the uh, uh, website, <clears throat> excuse me, The Ringer, mm-hmm. they did an hour and 10 minutes on the trailer. <laughs> As said, it is two minutes and two seconds. That is a lot of detail. I don't think we're going to beat that, but we're going to definitely talk about it for more than two minutes. All right. So presumably, if you're still with us, you have either watched it or you paused, watched it and came back. What we're going to do is we're going to play uh, the trailer. So you're going to hear the audio and then Spencer and I are going to stop and we're going to just give observations. We're going to tag team this. We're going to go back and forth, talk observations, talk things that we noticed, things we liked maybe things we didn't like, and maybe even bat around a few predictions. Now, this is not our predictions podcast. We're going to do a season, a full season eight predictions podcast. We're going to do that probably about a week out from season eight, only mm-hmm. because there's a chance we're going to get another trailer and potentially more news or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hold off on the official predictions pod, but some predictions may come up. Spencer, are you ready to listen to it? Damn straight. All right. This is the... Game of Thrones Season 8 official trailer.
There it is, Spencer. We watched it again. Season 8 official trailer. Now, what the folks listening don't know is that you and I actually have not talked about this trailer at all. I don't know how we did that. <laughs> Normally, I know. We, waited, we waited two days. We were actually professional broadcasters about this. We waited two days. We waited till we were recording to actually give our first impressions. So I am actually really excited. Spencer, first impressions of the trailer. It. it the show has always been very, very solid about making high quality trailers in terms of advertising at the um, it's each each of the seasons. And this one, just like the rest, hits out of the park. It does an excellent job of building the hype, of conveying a, some general imagery of what we can expect in the season without really revealing much in the way of the plot. I mean, we got laid out that there's going to be a large battle that occurs, the assembly of armies, and that Cersei's off doing her own thing. But really, in terms of particulars about where they're going to go, about how things are going to play out. It, it did a good job of not giving away much. And so I appreciate that it effectively built my interest, got me excited again, showed the quality of the production that they're putting together, and give us a taste of the general imagery that they're, put, they're painting for what the season's going to bring, with all, while still leaving all the surprises that I'm hoping to look forward to. Yeah, Spencer, spot on. I agree. Um, <laughs> I'll say this. All right. So what jumped off the page to me is that clearly there is going to be a battle in Winterfell between the army of the undead and this coalition of the willing, uh, of the living. Mm-hmm. They showed us nothing after that battle. Now, presumably that's not the end. And, and some of the intel we have, uh, both intel that has been gathered through spoilerish things, but also what the show has divulged in Entertainment Weekly, mm-hmm. um, is that this is going to be the third episode. Of the season, so you got three more episodes of footage that is not, ca- best I can tell, is not captured at all in this trailer. And I'm glad they did that because if they show you some footage of potentially a battle at King's Landing or what happened after the battle, you would know who won. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they they focused on this battle of Winterfell because anything after that would let you know: Did Danny survive? Did John survive? I mean, these are pretty big spoilers. So I think if even even if we get a second trailer, I don't think we'll get any footage from episode four, five, and six, or at least I hope not. I thought they did a good job of being uh, kind of uh, cagey about that aspect of it, of when John does a little speech about our enemy does not tire, it's constantly going to be a threat. After he finishes that, it immediately cuts to Cersei, which in kind of frames or even hints that, let's not forget about who who's, who's always going to be an enemy in the background, who's always going to be using it to advantage, win or lose. Yeah, I agree. All right, do you want to start the back and forth since we've given some uh, you know, yep. general feedback? Let's okay, do you want to go first or me? Uh, please, hit a moment you want to discuss. Well, I'd like to start uh, with the very start of the trailer. That is interesting. Um, uh, so this is Arya. <clears throat> she clearly has been 
fighting. Uh, I would presume this is probably it, footage from episode three where they're doing the, actually having the battle at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in, I don't know how many seasons, Spencer, she looks scared. It is interesting to see honest got emotion out of her. They definitely removed all of that from last season. They turned her in kind of a Terminator figure. Here, she is a scared, frightened girl again in a way. It, even when she was, you know, training in the, in, the, in the House of Black and Wife and running away from the Waif, she still had a certain sense of command and center. Here, she's just running blind and scared and blooded. Yeah, and what I like is the juxtap- the immediate juxtaposition to what I imagine was a scene from episode one or two where Arya is doing this thing like, well, I know death and I look forward to seeing this one. Like a ton of confidence. Uh, and I imagine she's telling this to Sansa or John or potentially even Danny. Uh, but uh, clearly when things pop off during the battle, something significant changes. Now, my speculation is what could be happening that has her so scared? Is it truly just like, being scared that someone's going to kill her? Because I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't think that the idea of death would scare Arya that bad. I mean, she's definitely running through Winterfell, it appears, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's running through the halls of Winterfell. And she, as you point out, has been through the ringer. She's dirty. She's been through a battle. There's blood caking half of her face, even, it looks like, in a couple of the shots. Um, Well, if you look at a a frame-by-frame, about a minute and, I don't know, about a half in, they show people fighting what looks like on the battlements of Winterfell. They do, yeah. Jamie first and uh, foremost. Yeah, we see a shot of Jamie. We see a shot of someone who I think is Brienne, but we also see a shot of Arya. Mm -hmm. So Arya is at the top of the battlements fighting. And I would presume that this scene where she's scared and she's hiding and running through the halls of Winterfell is after that. I mean, ways to interpret this scene is... First, do we believe it's actually real? Because the show has been very increasingly willing to do dreams. Uh, so do we think this is a scene actually occurring, or is this a collection of her fears playing out in her own mind? One of the few places where she possibly can still be openly afraid. Um, if it is playing out in real life, as you say, what is she afraid of? She doesn't seem to be a person who's very much afraid of death unless there's a fair amount of bluff and bluster and how she carries herself now. Um, but I, what other reasonably could she be worried about? And if it is indeed that she's running away from enemies, running from death, is this suggesting that Winterfell itself has fallen? That she's actually retreated in the crypts and just fighting for her life? A lot of unanswered questions there. Yeah. I mean, to get into a little bit of a predictions game, I do think Winterfell falls. Um, I think part of Danny's army pulls back. Danny's two dragons probably pulls back. Um, I think John probably lives, but I think we're going to see in episode three of this season, a lot of main characters die. Um, but yeah, so Arya being scared, starting it that way and then cutting to her, like kind of pompous, like, Oh yeah, well I'll see about this guy. I've been, I've dealt with some other tough guys, right? You know, like it's a, it's a great juxtaposition. I like how the trailer starts. Okay. Spencer, mm-hmm. your go. Uh, one thing I liked about this is how much they are very firmly tying what this episode and what the season's going to be focusing around to the long night. Even the imagery we see in this trailer, it is all, almost all of it is happening, for a lot of scenes, is happening at night, is happening with black, blackness and darkness descending, which is tying so classically back to what comes when the others do. That when winter descends, when the others come, Back historically, they called that era the Long Night because it was years of pitch black darkness that descended over Westeros. And it's very clear when the battles that they're fighting, when they're marching out to war, when Arya's running through the crypts and running through Winterfell, when battlements are being besieged, 
it is pitch blackout because the others have truly arrived and are descending and not only winter, but night is coming with them. So I like that I take that imagery choice of where much of what is happening is at night. It's a good imagery choice. And also what we talked about previously with the uh, battle battle of uh, the Blackwater, it works too in term, from a production standpoint and making it easier to film and cover up any possible uh, discrepancies in the imagery. So nice pairing of, of, of uh, competing values there. Yeah. And, um, a little bit of a uh, <clears throat> inside intel there that they have dropped. Uh, it took 55 nights to film the battle at Winterfell. 55 nights of filming. Yeah, and they did they did it straight. Wow. So the actors the actors earned their money. <laughs> There's a practical question too, where how do we interpret that it looks like the army is marching out to fight, but then the battlements of Winterfell are being besieged. Yeah. Is this going to be a two-front battle, kind of the same way that we saw in maybe the Battle of the Wall, of where the army marches out, but a side force attacks Winterfell and has to be defended? Or is the army going to be defeated in the field and have to fall back to the castle? Well, I would like to uh, point one thing out to you, is that on the battlements, we see three main characters fighting. We see yes. Jaime Lannister, we see Brienne of Tarth, and we see Arya Stark. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what commonality do those three characters share? Uh, well, okay, what are you going for there? They all have Valerian steel. That is a valid point. So uh, my thought there is that they put the folks with Valerian steel uh, on the battlements. Uh, because, it, you know, if somebody's coming over, you need, you, I mean, you, you can't just have a normal sword there if, if the whites are pouring in. You got to have something that just kills them on sight. True. Um, now... It's one thing to note is that I, I had I had forgotten that we saw Brienne on the wall. We notably, unlike I think Jamie and Arya, see Brienne in, among the assembled troops that are marching out to fight the others. Um, so if indeed the army is defeated, clearly she survives and is able to fall back. But right, that was, so that kills the idea that everyone we see outside of the walls of Winterfell dies. It also kills the fact that it's two battles happening at the same time. Because um, as, as skilled as Brienne is, she can't be in two places fighting at once. Well, also, we know that the battle lasts over 50 minutes of screen time. So there are going to be waves of this thing. I mean, it's, it's going to be 50 straight minutes of a battle. I, I don't even really have a, a reference point for that. That's going to be so wild. But yeah, obviously, uh, Brienne falls back at some point. So it shows that at a minimum, and we wouldn't expect this to be the case, but at a minimum, you know, the Dothraki and Unsullied army that are outside uh, the gates of Winterfell, I don't imagine that's the entire army, but some of them, uh, they do not prevail. I heard this, and I'd be curious to see it confirmed, that uh, this will be the longest uh, individually filmed battle in the history of cinema, uh, passing yep. Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. Yep. That's that's the word on the street. And that that's is incredible. Insane. That's, that's incredible. Be, yeah. Spencer, do we, when we do our, our annual, um, <laughs> now it's biannual, uh, Game of Thrones viewing party, should it be for episode three or the finale? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we could just do it for Sapochnik episodes alone. Sapochnik? Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? Sapochnik. Sapochnik. I mean, he's doing two and neither of them the finale. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, cut back to me. I'd like to talk about the Golden Company. Uh, we know from the uh, end of Season 7 that Cersei's plan was to have Euron storm off during the meeting at the Dragon Pit and pretend as if he's turned heel on Cersei, but in reality, he really was just taking his fleet to Essos to pick up the Golden Company. Um, I'll do a little bit of background on the Golden Company. Spencer, you fill in the blanks. 
Golden Company is a, a group of trained knights and soldiers that are the remnants of uh, the rebellion of the Black Fires. The Black Fires are the bastard Targaryens mm -hmm. um, that were quote unquote legitimized um, by, what was it, Maker the Cruel? Uh, no, it was um, the fat one. Yeah, it was the fat one. I'm blanking on his name. I think it was Aeg I think it was Aegon the Fourth. Let me check. The Unworthy. Yeah, Aegon uh, the Aegon the Unworthy. Aegon the Fourth Targaryen. Yeah. Yeah. So he, on his deathbed, legitimized all these bastards um, that that were had the name Blackfire. Uh, and so then they were like, hey, like we have a right to Westeros. And so there was this big rebellion with the Blackfire folks uh, fighting the Targaryen, the quote unquote true Targaryens. Uh, they lost. They tried it multiple times, uh, the Blackfire Rebellion. Anyway, they finally settled in Essos and formed the Golden Company. The Golden Company's big thing is uh, they've never broken a contract. They're very proud of that. Um, so if they've come to fight for Cersei, the presumption is, well, they, um, they, they're they probably going to fight for her. Now, you, you play all this out and you start to think, okay, well, if the Golden Company is ever going to break a contract, and I know in the books they've already done it once, but let's say for here they haven't. Mm -hmm. um, don't you think the, the opportunity to do that would be to turn heel on a Lannister and support not one, but two actual Targaryens? Hmm. I mean, it's an interesting thing to debate. I mean, the Golden Company... From what we know from the books, they appear to be backing the claim of um, the new upstart Aegon yeah. Targaryen, uh, whether he is a real Targaryen or not, uh, which people find interesting alone because their loyalties are not to the Targaryens. Their loyalties are to the Blackfire family. They still even carry the original Blackfire founders' um, bitter steel's head with them under the promise that they would bring that home. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily assume they have much of a loyalty to uh, Danny or John by default. Uh, it... Man, with you mentioning them here, uh, we do you agree we distinctly appear to see them in this trailer? Yeah, we do, and and then we saw. I think we also see Harry Strickland um, at the like sort of the head of the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a weird scene because it looks like all the soldiers are just standing in formation. So you're kind of like, did they just? <laughs> were they standing? This <laughs> the entire ride. I think it was yeah, obviously meant for uh, for effect. But we do know. The Golden Company comes in, and we see a scene later in the trailer where Cersei is standing, looking out, um, looking out onto the sea uh, in that Dubrovnik, um, you know, uh, setting, which mm -hmm. is King's Landing, and she seems happy. So I'm guessing that this is when Euron and the Golden Company are are coming into the day. Yeah, it's interesting too to see how her outfit has changed. I mean, she continue uh, she. When she's watching that scene, she even seems to have incorporated an aspect of the Golden Company into her own attire, with those kind of like golden epaulets and chains seeming almost like match their armor. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's uh, costumes continue to get tweaked uh, year over year, which I think is kind of cool. Everybody is more militarized, I think, this season mm -hmm. uh, than in any other season. But yeah, I'm excited to see the Golden Company. I think that this, this all is going to play out. Um, we'll probably see the Golden Company come to King's Landing, I would say, episode one or two. Uh, but the effect they'll have, how much of a force they'll actually be for Cersei, and then what they'll be up against, um, you know, we'll we'll see in episode four, five, and six. And again, I don't think we get any of that footage in this trailer. Which, which again, is just going to be such an interesting structural choice. If we've spent eight seasons building up the others to be the ultimate evil, to be the ultimate opponent, are they really going to wrap up that plot line in the first three episodes? I don't think so. Maybe. No, I don't think so. I, I think that I think that uh, the, the the army, the coalition of the willing, 
uh, of the living are, are going to lose in episode three. And I think they're going to back backtrack. And I think, uh, again, we'll get into to, to our speculation later, but my over my, my big hot take, Spencer, the big thing I'm pushing is I think that the conquest of King's Landing is going to be of necessity. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like, okay, I've, I've finished off the others. Now let's go get Cersei. I think it's we're retreating. I've got two dragons. I can go ahead and take King's Landing when I do so. Um, we will go ahead and do whatever we have to do to get more troops. May it be the golden company, may it be the people of Westeros or whatever. And then they deal with the others. And I think they in some ways have to go that route because the, one of the only bits of prophecy the show has allowed us to have is Danny's vision of the ruined throne room in King's Landing with snow covering everything. That's one of the few prophecy visions the show has given us, despite the book being chock full of them. And I don't think they can lose us on that one. No, I don't think they will. Okay, so I talked about the Golden Company. Spencer, do you have one? Ah, let me jump between here. Um, We very distinctly see um, the dragons ranging what appears to be north of the wall. Do we have any reasonable thoughts about what that is depicting or where they're going with respect to that? I I thought that was just the dragons just showing up. Like, you know, because Danny's army is going to march in and the dragon's going to be near them, so... It, it, it's possible, but we've never seen these kind of, you know, rocked snow, uh, snow-covered passes. These can- snow can- uh, snowed uh, rock canyons that, uh, in the north, the way we've seen them beyond the wall. It's possible it's just a new area of the north that we've not seen before, but it really is matching the imagery that we've previously seen in the far north. And it, it could just be like a drone, cool drone shot of the dragons. I would like to talk about the the scene, <clears throat> and not, not to cut you off here, but I think it dovetails, so I think it's going to work. Is the dragons who clearly have just eaten, and John and Danny are walking up to them. Yeah, I was curious about that one because that one. I mean, it's the dragons both standing over them. What is it happening? <laughs> I think John might try to ride a dragon. I really think so. Oh my god! When I watched this, I was like, I think this is John walking up to a dragon. He has already ridden. It is very possible. What do you make of what's at their feet, though? That's not just you know food. That is a pyre of. Bones piled up of bones. I think it's just like goats and shit. There's a human ribcage in there. Yeah, uh, is it? It looks like it, but who knows? It they can do whatever like, they want with it. Looks like bigger bones to me. I think they just ate. I mean, my thing is, I think here's here's my guess is that John at this point has already rig, ridden Rhaegal, and they flew out somewhere and is a little little siesta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the two, uh, for for John and Danny, and and they're walking back to get on the dragons. The only thing about that, because uh, we've all speculated, oh my gosh, John's going to ride Rhaegal. Wouldn't that make so much sense? His dad's Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah. He's Targaryen. The mm-hmm. dragons like him. It all lines up. Yeah. But if that's the case, he should be riding Rhaegal during the battle. No. Uh, which he definitely does not appear to be doing. Um, and and I think that would be a... I don't think the showrunners would go that route because of how good Kit Harrington is in these battle scenes. Yeah. He, he's earned his title of that they've assigned him as being the best swordsman because that guy really is putting a lot of effort into this role. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, it's a little cognitive dissonance for me, but I you, you're talking about the dragons ranging and being sort of in a weird space, so I think it dovetails with that other scene where John and Danny are walking up to the dragons who have just eaten. It's notable that of all the faces that they showed in the battle scenes, either on the battlements or assembled on the field, neither Danny or John were shown. They were shown riding out with the army, they were shown walk up to the dragons, but neither of them were shown among the soldiers or even uh, in a command post behind them in any way. Okay, so you did miss one screenshot. 
Show me the screenshot. Give me a time. Um, I want to see it. Uh, I can. If you talk about something else, I can get it for you. Um, but I'll explain what it is, and then you talk a little bit, and I'll try to find it. It's John running. He seems to have about five to ten people behind him. He's running with a sword up to what looks like a wall. And it's dark, and there's, like, fire around and stuff. So it looks like it's during the battle. I don't remember that one. I'm curious to find where it is. Um, well, one question I practically have is about Jamie. If we see, um, we definitely distinctly see Jamie joining up with the army, which we were strongly hinted at in the last season of Jamie fully rejecting Cersei and marching north. There's a moment, though, of where Jamie is seemingly being confronted by somebody and where he says, you know, I promise to fight this, I promise to do everything else. I'm curious who you think about who is challenging him on that choice or who he's defending his choice to. Danny. You think it's Dan? You think it's actually Danny's being confronted with at that point? Because that is going to be a hell of an interesting confrontation when it happens. No, I do, and I think this this of all the scenes in season eight, this one writes itself because you know that when Jamie Lannister shows up to Winterfell, uh, he's going to get there after Danny, presumably, because he's he's just riding. You know, we we we've talked about it on the pod before how long it takes to just ride from King's Landing uh, to Winterfell. Uh, I think that Danny will be there, uh, like we saw in the teaser. Hey, buddy. Like yeah, we saw in the teaser trailer. Uh, like Bobby we saw in the teaser trailer. Danny Bobby is Kamara. given Winterfell by Sansa. Sansa says, Winterfell is yours, your grace. So she's going to be presumably ruling there from Winterfell. And when Jamie Lannister shows up, the first thing they're going to do is drag the Kingslayer in front of the woman whose father he killed. Mm-hmm. And she's going to presumably say, what the hell are you doing here? You know, you're part of the army that, that lied to me in the dragon pit did not bring soldiers. You killed my dad. You're, you're in bed with Cersei. Like you, you are my enemy and Jamie's going to have to explain what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is part of that explanation. He's like, look, I made, I, I said, I'm going to do something and damn it. I'm going to do it. Kill me if you want, but I'm here to fight. It seems like a natural progression for her. She's already been confronted with several people that she's deemed part of her enemies. She's already effectively forgiven Jon Snow. One would hope at this point. Uh, despite him being Ned Stark's son, despite him being associated with the Starks, despite him declaring his own kingship and rejection of a rule. He's already forgiven Tyrion, who was of the Lannister family. Um, Jamie is a hell of a more farther down the spectrum example of uh, forgiving, given that he actually was the, one of the people directly responsible for the loss of her house and the death of her father. But it seems to be an evolution of where she's already been kind of going with this. Okay, so the scene with John. In the battle is at 121. Yeah, you saw it. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I find it interesting because it does not I mean it do, it's not clearly set up into either of the other battles. It doesn't clearly look like it's on the field. They're very visibly running into a structure, which I assume is potentially the gates of Winterfell, maybe. So do you think he was in the sky? He was, you know, fighting on Rhaegal. And then when Winterfell starts to fall, he, he jumps down to go. To go in. And that would be a total John move, by the way. It would to be, be like, oh, yeah, I have a nuclear weapon here, but you know what? I need to jump down and kick some ass with my sword. That would be the ultimate John thing to do. Just like, okay, I'm in a position of command. People are relying me to provide some degree of generalship. I am riding an F, the equivalent of an F-16 jet fighter. Oh, shit, people, there are individuals attacking people I care about? I'm there. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a John move. And then I would explain why, if you, if you stop it at 121, he doesn't seem to be bloodied or dirty or anything. No, he's just running. It looks like he just, yeah, it looks like he just got started with his day. Uh, who do we, there is a, 
a distinct armor style of people that we see in this trailer. Behind Brienne, running with John here. Who are these guys? These are not normal North outfits behind these that these people I'm have. I'm so excited you brought this up. So I only know this uh, because of <clears throat> uh, a YouTube channel called Emergency Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, check it out if you haven't. The guy who runs it, Charlie, he gets out. He it makes me angry how quickly he gets out content. I mean, he had like an hour or a 15 minute long um, review of this thing, like 20 minutes after it was released. He's insane. Mm-hmm. But he and then and then subsequently other review podcasts have noted um, if you do a screenshot, Spencer, the soldiers have a sigil. On their on their cover, that is the combination of the Targaryen and Stark houses. Are these the new Kingsguard equivalent? The personal soldiers of the new of the new claimants to the throne. Well, you see it multiple times. You see it. Uh, Jamie Lannister seems to have it in some of the pictures that we've seen. Um, the soldiers that are behind Jorah and Brienne, uh, they seem to have it. And so I think what happened here is that between Episode One and Three. Uh, it became clear that John and Danny are a thing, and and they created a new sigil. And they've already gotten the armors working to make it for their troops. Well, the the trailer helps us know that because it does uh, show it. It does <laughs> do show see, it. <laughs> we do see Gendry, who, by the way, the actor who plays Gendry, my God, that man does not skip ab day. He None. is a he is a fit man. But anyway, they're working presumably to, uh, to probably with I would think. Uh, the dragon glass uh, that John got from Dragonstone in season seven to outfit everybody with Dragonstone weapons. Mm-hmm. All right. Where do we want to go next from this? Well, yeah. What kind of all over the place here? Um, I would like to talk about Sansa. Sansa. What about her? Well, what did you think of that look that she gave when the dragons flew over Winterfell? Pull it up again. I'm actually curious to say it. What, you, have, you have a time frame on it? It's it's right at the beginning. Um, I'll talk a little bit while you while you replay it. So yeah. here's my take on this. I think Sansa, since they took Winterfell, has become very proud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when Jon sent the Raven saying, "Hey, I'm with Daenerys now," Daenerys now, it didn't sit well with her. And I think there was probably about thirty to forty percent of her who thought, "I don't know, maybe this isn't going to work." Like maybe we should tell John no. Like maybe the Northern Lords will be behind me, and we tell John no. We're not. We're not backing this lady. And I think that that thirty percent went down to zero when she saw those dragons fly over. <laughs> I think she's going to be resentful of Danny uh, initially, but I do think Danny will win her over in part because Sansa, at this point in the series, it's not always been like that. At this point in the series, does understand strength, and when she sees those dragons, she knows, okay, this is the way now. Is this, yeah. She's far and away the most pragmatic of the Starks. She is the, the survivor among them in a way that none of the rest of them can claim. I think we saw in a prior teaser when she's greeting and welcoming Danny to Winterfell that she's barely able to remove the sarcasm and disdain from her voice when she says, Winterfell is yours, your grace, something along those lines. So we're definitely going to see that degree of tension. But yeah, I pulled it back up. There is a level of scared awe on her face as those dragons so calmly fly over her, wall, her walls and swoop around that, if nothing else, they have earned submission, if not loyalty. Exactly. I think that's the moment where the Lady of Winterfell knows, well, I, I can I can be snarky. I can, I can be passive aggressive. I can't outwardly 
oppose this because this is happening. Now, one question I have seen that we saw, um, did we previously know that Varus was going north with Danny? No. But we very... No, but dis- we do. Yeah, we do know now because he's hiding, poor Varys, he's hiding with the women and children in the crypts of Winterfell. Very distinctly and very scared. I mean, I just find that an interesting addition because we had previously no idea that he was going. I think in some ways it was even implying that he wasn't. Um, so it's interesting that he is being very willing to go first and foremost, to the very front lines of this war. It's not normally in keeping with what we see out of Varys. No, no, it's not. Um, Yeah, that's a good catch there. Uh, So what I'd like to bring up is one of the earliest shots in the trailer where John and Danny are, and we've already been told this, this is not a spoiler, the show is happy that you know this, that one of the first scenes you're going to see in episode one is going to be Danny's army going to Winterfell, and it's going to parallel um, a scene that we have covered uh, in our season one coverage uh, of King Bobby B riding into Winterfell in the first episode. So it, they're going to parallel that. And they do a shot that clearly is from that scene where John and Danny are on horseback marching together, presumably into Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the thought that crossed my mind was this is a really aggressive move here by John. Yeah, they're right. March, like, because you, <laughs> he has not introduced that army to the north uh the north has a, a really legitimate reasons to hate the targaryens mm-hmm. all he did is send a raven say i'm coming with the targaryen and then he rides in with her shoulder to shoulder it's a it's a bold ass move it is man the most aggressive shot is them appearing to ride away with the army so it, it appears that i don't think they arrive with the unsullied which makes sense because they're coming from two entirely different parts of the continent but he presumably is going to march up from uh, winter, uh, march up from White Harbor in doing this, and I'm very much eager to see how that goes down because the North proper has no idea about any of this. He sent like one raven letting Winterfell know, and the North is huge. That message is not going to spread very rapidly, even if uh, Sansa so chooses this, to tell people. Yeah, and so this dovetails with the point I was just making about Sansa. Mm-hmm. John's not the brightest, ah. but I think he does know. That when the two dragons fly over, the North isn't going to be questioning the Targaryen too much. <laughs> There's going to be a bit of like, holy shit. And I think he might know, okay, well, I'm coming with enough. Like, Danny's coming with enough firepower that there's not going to be people like standing outside of Winterfell like you can't come in. And then he can make his case when he's there. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he was making that case in one of the, the voiceovers when he's he's ex- trying to explain this is what the enemy is, you know. Uh, and I could totally see him talking to the Northern Lords saying this was absolutely necessary because we still might not have enough, even with all Danny's firepower. Mm-hmm. And with all with all the North and all the other forces that are marching up with him from the South, with all of the unsullied and everything else, this they are going to be outnumbered by many, 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 many times against a force that doesn't obey normal fighting rules. It's one of those things of where we talked previously about like one of the primary uses of like cavalry is to shatter the enemy, convince them to break their formation so they can be picked apart or they'll just run away in terror. We saw Jorah with a large mounted cavalry arm. We talked about maybe the, the threat that the Dothraki will play and that against an army like the undead, they're kind of sort of useless. They don't, the undead aren't going to, you know, break formation and be able to be ridden down. They're just going to for, form a solid wall of meat that you just kind of have to hack through like a butcher. Uh, yeah, this is one of your this is one of your hot takes that 
<clears throat> you convince me, and I, I, I am, again, I'm, I am convinced this is the case. I think the first real, like, big loss that Danny's army is going to have in in this battle is the Dothraki falling. Because yeah. they're on their horses, it's not going to be helpful against zombies. Like, they, as a matter of fact, they need to get off their horses. A large light cavalry force. We saw what threat that can be to like a thin line of Lannisters that are scared and terrified, and you're able to pick apart with arrows. Maybe even with these undead. Let's say you hit him with an arrow. He's not going to drop. He's already dead. You have to just chop them into pieces so they go down, or hit them with a dragon glass or a Valerian steel. None of which the Dothraki are equipped with. Well, not, we don't know that. We don't know that. John took a bunch of dragon glass from Dragonstone. How much did he mind to be able to equip, equip all of Danny's force? And even then, what do you want to? Dragon glass is not. It's famously sharp, but it's famously brittle. I mean, if it hits any degree of armor, if it's any degree of steel, it's going to shatter. So it. I don't even know if you. I want can to tell you this. Yeah. If I know the showrunners. They think they've given you enough that they now have unlimited <laughs> dragon glass. Okay, yeah. they gave you ten minutes of screen time on the dragon glass. You, they have all the dragon glass they could ever want. No, um, that doesn't yeah. work. So, but I, but it, if you if you freeze frame it, Jorah is in front of the Dothraki army, which would make sense. He's got a history with the Dothrakis. Um, but I do think that army is going to break. I, and to your point, I think the Unsullied are going to be very effective. Really? I think they're going to hold the line a hell of a lot longer than the Dothraki. And if if Danny's forces have any chance of winning, it'll be on the back of the Unsullied, and then whatever uh, her and maybe John are able to do uh, on Dragon back. Okay. Uh, shot I want to ask about, just because it's an interesting shot in terms of how it's framed and what we're potentially looking at. The last shot of the trailer, when we see the legs, presumably, I'm guessing, of a White Walker horse come out in front of the yep. army. Yep. Uh, what do we see there in the foreground? What is that collection of lights? Is that it, you know, observing the lights of Winterfell in the distance? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the lights. Of, yeah, this is this is like <clears throat> this is <laughs> the army of the undead making their final push toward uh, Winterfell. And I think they're, you know, the, the scene we saw before that with like Jorah in front of the Dothraki, with Grey Worm in front of the Unsullied, that's that's what's in front of the walls of Winterfell. Is so this just, from... Yeah, is this then suggesting that they're not really just marching out into the distance to fight the army? They've essentially sallied forth, and they're fighting in front of the walls of Winterfell to like thin out the host or make best use of their mobile forces before then retreating into the citadel if things get too hot. That we think that's what kind of what the strategy. The citadel. Is so when I say the citadel, I mean like a castle citadel. I mean like the fortress that they have <laughs> behind them. I don't mean I don't yeah. mean I don't mean I don't mean they teleported the Meister's Tower to them. Come on, man. I was about to say it's a hell of a retreat to go to Old Town. <laughs> I, if I was in command of this army, you better believe I'm going down there. Oh man, no, uh, no. I, I I think what you just said is what I presume. I presume that they know that the Dothraki are going to be most effective. I guess out in open battle. I, I don't know. We just kind of crapped on that theory, but I, that's probably will be the logic that they use. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think that there is a hell of a lot of value in having probably the majority of the unsullied forces outside of the walls. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I think that's I think that's what you're dealing with. This is the, the two front lines right before uh, initial engagement. Uh, question, by the way, also of a different scene that we see uh, where it's a little bit ambiguous of who we're seeing. Uh, two of them, really. Uh, 119, if you can pull that up with me here. Okay. Uh, we see the face of what appears to be a sweaty, bloody, bearded man. 
Who is this? Uh, is that... This is Sandor Clegane. I thought that was probably the Hound, which I, again, like that he's being framed in fire. Yep. He's having it. Well, because think about it. This is going to be a great callback to the Battle of Blackwater because he's like, there is going to be dragon fire. No question. And so, and, and in all the scenes we got in this trailer of the battle actually commencing, there's fire all around. Mm-hmm. And he, if he's going to fight in this thing, he's got to push through that fear of fire. And it looks like they're giving us just enough to, to kind of hint that he does that. And we've also saw in the prior season, which was a very interesting touch, that perhaps as a result of his closeness in fire, in some ways with the future that he is being born in fire, that he has a closeness to the point of almost prophecy of where what other people have to you know, fo- closely examine the flames and see very unclear things. When he was invited to do so, he just saw a straight up story. Um, so they really could be emphasizing even more this season that he in some ways may be the prophet or the chosen of the Lord of Fire, which would be an interesting little twist to his story. He also looks in that, that uh, freeze frame at 119 like he's been burnt himself. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah, it, that doesn't look like like cuts. That that looks like burns to me. But anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does because that's he's not going to be able to get away from fire in that battle. Uh, after you, then I got another one to talk about. Okay. I'd like to talk about the Crips. I see a lot of shots of the Crips. We do. I'd like to talk about one specific one, which happens uh, toward the beginning, and that is um, John is looking at some statue. He's got his head down, and Danny is walking up to him. The million-dollar question for this scene, is this before or after um, the Westeros Google uh, and Samuel Tarly? <laughs> Uh, and that's Bran Stark and Samuel Tarly. I assumed. Uh, informed John that he, in fact, is a Targaryen. He is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, and that his new girlfriend is actually his aunt. Okay. Uh, well, if it... Uh, hmm. Who do we assume he's in front of? Because that might answer a few questions. We can't tell. because It's not shown. Well, but both Ned and Liana, if you're walking down the crypts, right, mm-hmm. it's a dead-end hallway. If you're going toward the dead-end hallway, both Ned and Liana are on the right, and he is looking to the right. So he could be looking at Liana or Ned, and that's why this question is so interesting, because I feel like if it's before that conversation, he would have gone down to the crypts upon arriving at Winterfell to pay honor to his father. Yes. If it's afterwards, he could have gone down there to like look at the statue of Liana and just try to digest everything. And if that's what he's doing, Danny and how she's sort of like her body language and how she's operating would make more sense because she looks like she's down there to try to con- either con- uh, like comfort him or make him feel better inside. You know, like she she's she seems to be approaching him very carefully. She does. That is, that is a very distinct kind of thing, and he looks. Shaken. He looks shaken in a way that he wouldn't be if he was just going to see Ned. I mean, he hasn't. I agree. I mean, he hasn't seen him in a while. He clearly cares about him. It's a. It's a very tragic part of the story that the last thing his father ever told him was that he was going to tell him about his mother. Never got. Not, never got. Well, I say father, but the last thing Ned ever told him was that. And never got to see him again. But I don't see him being that shaken, rattled, and remorseful as we see him in that scene. Because that's a morose John the way we've rarely seen. We've seen him pout. He's an expert at pouting and glowering and everything else. But this, he looks legitimately shaken and sad. Yeah. So, <laughs> and fans have speculated about this. Um, how do you think he's going to deal with the the news, considering his relationship with Danny? Uh, not as well as Danny is. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually kind of feel like the the way that you write this, you know, in a way that's that's honest to these characters is that John had seems to have a legit problem with it, and Danny just comes up and is like, just basically dismisses it, but in a in a in a sort of nice way. But I, I think Danny's going to tell him, like, this doesn't change anything. Like, you know, uh, we're still here together. We're still doing this thing. Like, forget it. I don't think she's going to go right to our people have done incest. For, you know, like, I don't think she's going right to, like, you're a Targaryen now and we fuck brother and sister. Like, I, I don't think that's the right line of argument. But I do think sort of a soft, like, this doesn't change anything um, might be effective with John. I, I'm not sure. I mean, John is very much his father. Uh, I keep on saying his father's son. He isn't, but I mean, Ned is really his dad, regardless of his actual bloodline. Uh, he's very much Ned's son. In How progressive of you. I, I choose, I choose to do so. Yes. Uh, in terms of his bearing, in terms of his values, in terms of his ingraining himself in the culture of the North. I don't think he's going to take this well. I don't, I think it may actually put a pause or even a break in their relationship. I don't. I don't, uh, I, I don't, uh, I think they only have six episodes and I think that the, they're selling the relationship between John and Danny. I think Danny will be able to soothe him pretty quickly with this, or maybe it won't matter. Maybe he finds out right before the battle and it's just kind of like, okay, well, we'll deal with this later. And then one or both of them dies. Uh, I don't, I do not assume that both of them are making it through all six episodes. All right. Right now, Spencer, you have to bet who dies, Danny or John? Let's assume one does. You're betting that one does and one doesn't. Who are you putting your money on to kick the bucket before episode six? Hmm. John's much more suicidally inclined than Danny, but in some ways I find it more likely that Danny survives than John survives than Danny. Interesting. Um, and, and, and the reason I say that is uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this prophecy, but you remember the the, the story of the last of the of the last hero and uh, Nisa Nisa and the forging of Lightbringer. I think have we ever discussed that story? We're not on the pod, but me and you. I'd be curious to see if the show in some ways plays out with John in some ways sacrificing Danny for the purpose of uh, winning this war. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, would, what, you know. I don't know. Would Ned Stark's son do that? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, what what would uh, you seem to be uh, assuming in the opposite direction that um, Danny is more likely to survive to the end than John is? No. no, really. I think that the curveball they can throw you here is that Danny dies. Danny dies in the battle at Winterfell, yeah. and that John marches on Cersei um, out of a sense of duty and honor and family. Look at that, Tully words. Um, <laughs> Both to the Starks and the Targaryens. That he once maybe Danny sacrifices herself and John kills the Night King, and then John says we we have to go take Cersei because this is Danny's legacy. This is my family, both of my family's legacies. We have to go get her. And John rides Rhaegal into King's Landing and takes King's Landing. Now that's a if they did that, I would not be upset at that ending. It would be it would be delightfully bittersweet. So I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't put it past them to have Cersei win. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> you want to bet on that? I'll give you 10 to 1 odds. You'd be 10 to 1 odds. I might 10 take... to 1, $100. I'll give you 1000 you give me 100 Give me a minute. I want to think about it. But I, <laughs> it might be worth it. It might be worth it. Just because think about People would be talking about that ending for years. If, in the end, 
all this story is writing to celebrate Cersei and her great victory in the years of peace that she brought to Westeros afterwards and defeating the combined threats of the usurpers and the and the Long Night. I, I, Look, Dan and Dave don't have the guts. They've shown it. When they have gone off script from the books, if this was Martin's writing, maybe. Oh, but this yeah. is Dan and Dave. They don't have the guts. It's either going to be John or Danny or both. Or neither. Uh, All right. Well, we'll see, but I mean, I, that's I, out there. I agree. It would not be their nature. They tend to play it very safe, rather predictable with respect to their own plot lines that they're writing about how they resolve things. Um, but can, just picture it. Imagine it out. Wouldn't it just be a powerful, shocking twist to it all if in the end... I wouldn't even think it'd be that much of a twist. The show's built up the idea of those who are imminently, practically powerful. Maybe they don't have a staying power, but they do have a nasty tendency to win when it comes to a fight. So you remember the scene, I think it was in season five, where Arya and the Hound were doing the little buddy cop multi-episode arc? Yes. And... The hound is like, I'm taking you to the Erie. I'm gonna, I'm giving you to your aunt. Your aunt's gonna pay a lot of money for you. Mm-hmm. And they, they go, walk up the bloody gate, and he asks, you know, I'm here to see why Sarah. And they're yeah. like, Oh, the lady's dead. And and Arya does that hilarious Laugh. giggle. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would do if Cersei won. <laughs> I, I would be just there be, for. It. We're probably gonna be there together. And I, I would probably fall down on my knees, laugh, laugh so fucking hard. That would be hilarious. And, and the first thing I would need to do is go to Twitter because, oh, my God, Twitter would be the best. I, I would find it truly interesting if not only does the Army of the North, the Army of the Living, the Army of the Willing lose, but they all die. The North is overwhelmed. And it takes Cersei and the Gold Company for the last half of the season to actually stand up to the others and win the war. I just feel like you would lose the audience. Think about how many people wouldn't give a fuck who wins. After episode three, if that happens. It, I, I agree that they would lose a lot of the audience. They're going to lose a lot of them anyway. The casualty count this season has to be colossal. Yeah, yeah, but but John and Danny are the, the king and queen on that chessboard, right? Yeah, and I can I can picture I can picture the ultimate tragedy, and I almost can picture them doing almost a fade-out of John in the end, snow over Winterfell, having won it all, having defeated all the enemies, but alone, utterly in the world, marching up and sitting on the Iron Throne, and the camera just painting out them with the framing shot, just the same as that promotional image of Ned with ice on the throne, sitting there alone. I can picture them doing that, and I would fully approve of it. But let's see. We don't know. And we, we're going to do a longer prediction when we get when we get closer to the season. Yeah, I got one more I want to talk about. Uh, and that is... I'm low-key super excited about Jamie Lannister's character arc. Yeah, finally. I just think, like, of this, of, like, I'm on record, and you can listen to our season seven coverage, that there was a, uh, there was about 15 seconds where I lost my mind and wanted Jamie Lannister to kill Danny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really oh, yeah. rooting for Jamie there for a moment. So I'm, a, I'm, I've turned heel. I'm a Jamie guy. I, I like Jamie. Uh, and I love the fact that he has just marched north to Daenerys Targaryen, which, he has no guarantee that she's not going to just feed him to her dragons on site. Yeah. And he's there for honor and he's doing it because he said, I gave you my word. Damn it. I'm going to do it. This is the right thing to do. And we see him on the battlements fighting and yelling to someone, go, go. My prediction is that's Brienne. He's, he's probably going to sacrifice himself for Brienne. That would be a good fitting sort of into his character, but I'm excited to see where it goes because he is now a character that is probably in the top five that I'm rooting for. 
two two questions practically there. Uh, well, first is a comment. First comment, I absolutely 100% agree. I am so glad they're finally giving Jamie this character development. It's one of my biggest complaints about the show that they've delayed this for like four seasons of Jamie actually finally being able to embrace the honor that is natural to him and fully come into his own story and his own legacy separate from Cersei. I've been looking forward to this for freaking years on the show because it's one of the Agreed. best plot lines in the book to see him fully become a knight of the Kingsguard. So glad uh-huh. this is finally happening. Uh, point number two. Remind me, did the show do the full de- uh, Cersei prophecy about the brother choking her to death? Or did they just focus on the part of the prophecy that talks about her children? B, just the part with the children. Okay, then books, Jamie's killing Cersei. It's been telegraphed. It's happening. Show, oh, yeah. they're probably not yeah. doing that. No, I don't think they are either. I think Danny's, or I think, sorry, <clears throat> I think Jamie's going to die in the battle. Yeah, probably. And I think Cersei will catch word of that. And I think, you know, the scene where Cersei in the trailer where she has tears in her eyes and she's drinking wine, either she's had a miscarriage because she's drinking wine, Meh. or she found out Jamie died and to hell with it, she's drinking wine. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see that if if, uh, if she finally gets a message that Jamie died in this war, if that doesn't actually snap her a little bit out of her own selfish motivations. I doubt it. It's Cersei we're talking about, but who knows? Yeah, I don't think it will either. Uh, all right. Last question for me. I just need you to identify somebody for me. 129. Uh, we see some... Oh, wait. Uh, 120. Crap, I lost it. Hold on. I'm going to get it in a second. It's around here somewhere. There's a scene where somebody is in a, a, in a fire... In a fi- there it is. 126. There's somebody where somebody's using a staff to do a lot of spin moves with fire and stone in the background. Is that Arya? Yep. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, that, that's Arya. That very so much. You can you can go on um, Reddit or YouTube, and you can actually find a version of the trailer mm-hmm. that someone did where they hyper lighted it. Um, so all those really dark scenes, you can you can actually see who they are, and it's very clearly Arya. Okay. Well, I mean, I I would frame this as being uh, immediately before, or probably immediately before, or immediately after the first scene of her running bloodied through the uh, uh, crypts of Winterfell. I would think after, but yeah, I, I I'm just so fascinated, and, and we can we can. In where we started, I'm so fascinated that Arya, they started with Arya scared. It just shows you the stakes here, because if he shook, some shit has gone down. And that's their intent. They truly have taken pains to tell, convince us that this season there are, will be costs. There will be losses. Things matter. And I'm so looking forward to it. Back to the old threat of where we're constantly on pins and needles of where... None of these characters have plot armor. Anything can happen. We're seeing it in its most pure form potentially this season, and it's something to celebrate. Oh, isn't it, though? Spencer, this has been fun. I'm so hyped for season eight. I think anybody listening to this podcast can tell. Spencer, do you have anything else before we go? Uh, just that uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we do our GOT Got Questions podcast, and I'm definitely looking forward to when we put together our bets because I'll, I'll tell you this. Let's put some money down once we're actually having our bets before the season starts. I'm not taking the bet right now, but on that episode, I'm breaking out my money. You'll give me odds. We'll make our bets for what's going down, and we'll bear the prices as the season folds out. A little bit of good radio there from Spencer. Spencer, actually, I have a sports book that has odds on the season. Uh, do, do, isn't Vegas predicting Bran to sit yeah. the Iron Throne? Yeah. What? Vegas has brand, which I, I, we can, let's get into that in the, in the, in the betting podcast. Okay. But I love your idea. We're going to do a predictions podcast for season eight in it. We're going to go through the lines. Spencer and I, we're going to put money. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're actually going to bet each other. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that podcast. Spencer. Damn straight, man. In the meantime, check out our coverage of season one of game of Thrones on the GT got questions podcast. We just got season 
uh, one, episode six, a golden crown out. Uh, we're doing uh, episode seven soon. Uh, we're going to get through all of season one before season eight starts. And then I don't think we've talked about this, Spencer. We are going to, during season eight, let me make a promise to you from the Guy Questions podcast from the Mango Talks folks. We are going to do two podcasts every week while season eight is running. One is going to be a reaction podcast immediately after the episode. So when you wake up on Monday morning, you'll get 20 minutes of me and Spencer yammering about what we just saw. Shell-shocked, probably in fanboy mode, but you're going to get get some of it. And then during the week, we're going to do a proper GOT Got Questions pod where we go through our normal segments. And we have a good time doing it. So that's what you got to look forward to in season eight. In the meantime, check out our season one coverage of the Got Questions podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Spencer, I enjoyed it. Till next time, man. See you.